This is episode number four with Nam Baldwin. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Nam Baldwin is a highly qualified emotional and stress control specialist. He's the co-developer of internationally recognized breath enhancement training. He's a mentor and motivational life health coach. Nam coaches world champion surfers, including Mick Fenning and Steph Gilmore. And he's also trained Pat Rafter, many footballers across different codes, including working with the New Zealand All Blacks rugby union psychologist, uh, and more recently working with some international world-class MMA fighters. He also works a lot with corporate and community groups to help all humans tap into their full potential. I've worked with Nam with my elite Paralympic athletes, and to me, he's a breathing expert, a resilience expert, a mindset expert, a movement specialist. He's an all-round brilliant coach and human. This is an awesome chat covering a lot of info about flow state and how we can open our minds to operate in this state. Nam talks to us about the work he's done with Mick Fenning and helping him overcome massive adversities in his life and how Mick is now using these adversities to his advantage. I asked Nam to take us through a short breathing exercise which lasts a few minutes and he explains some basic processes to help improve your energetic state and become more present. We really do dig into a lot in this one and I get super excited because As a coach and having the opportunity to work with and chat with like-minded humans who are experts in their fields, it's powerful. Straight after this chat, Nam took me into the gym he coaches from on the Gold Coast in Burley and we used some great new technology to train flow. And a few days later, I was lucky enough to work with him and Steph Gilmore in the same facility as we collaborated to improve Steph's proprioception and movement and minimize some energy leakages. It was such a great session that lasted almost two hours where Nam would be creating challenging exercise routines and I was identifying areas with Steph that needed to be worked on. Then Nam would allow me a couple of minutes on the table, on the treatment table, to work my magic. She'd bounce back up, keep training, fall straight into the great flow and movement patterns. Look, Steph is an amazingly talented, mobile, strong, resilient athlete and adapted extremely well to this session, even when we were throwing tennis balls at her head that she had to avoid through specific actions. I could talk about Nam's unique and brilliant coaching methodologies all session, but I'll let him do that from his perspective. I just wanted to fill you in a bit because we don't actually talk about the athletes much in this episode because I wanted him to deliver valuable information for everyone, not just athletes and coaches. So we explore mindsets, truth, process, meaning, flow, adversity, optimal health and nutrition, and so much more. 
One thing that all the athletes and people that NAM coaches always say is that they love it because they never know what they'll be doing when they arrive at his sessions and they're always challenged mentally and physically and leave as improved athletes or people. So tell us what is flow? <laughs> Good one to start with. Flow. So it's uh, an experience. I, I, I define it as an experience of where the brain is operating at a level of very, very high performance, meaning the ability to to get the best out of the brain's function into an activity where there's minimal conscious thinking. Because if we go into conscious thinking when we do activity, that can tend to slow processes down. So if I think about Let's say I'm surfing and I paddle in and I think about how to get up on my surfboard. The thinking part of it can actually slow down the practical part of it, the the biomechanical part of it. So I actually start to lock up my motor cortex slightly. When I say lock up, the speed in which information is traveling through to different muscles and parts of my body to jump up is just interrupted slightly so there'll be a little bit of a stagger if you like in how information travels from my brain down to the muscles i'm using when i'm in flow that doesn't happen so i don't think about it and instantly i can pop up and i don't even know how i did it but i did it so to go into flow because that's probably your next question how do we go into flow ideally we go through the first step is struggle which means we need to warm up the body and the brain in a way where the brain actually goes through a moment of what I say struggle challenge which is getting the biochemistry the neural network and the neural chemistry within the brain to release certain chemicals and hormones that allow areas all areas of the brain to interact with one another and communicate with one another so that we can access this higher level of performance, which is, you know, accessing pathways that we have developed in training, for example, that can now come through without any thought. But that will take a bunch of chemicals to be very active to allow all that information to be flowing in split seconds. So what sort of chemicals? So things like um, nitric oxide. Uh, Nitric oxide allows capillaries to open it's a it's a dilator so if if i've got capillaries in my brain that are open blood can flow freely information can flow freely i need uh, dopamine so that i can you know focus better i need norepinephrine so i can focus better i need adrenaline so i can get better focus so that will only come though from a form of struggle in terms of heart rate and use of finer motor skill so i do an activity that challenges me to a degree where because of the activity is relatively complex and relatively demanding, the brain naturally will need to step up to be able to do that type of activity so that then now things become automatic. So flow is automatic, really. I'm going into an automatic uh, way of processing information and activating different parts of my body so that I can really get the best out of myself. That release component also requires that I have some form of mental composure so I minimize jumping into my head when I'm doing things. Because I could quite quickly, if I'm, uh, if I have, I don't know, if I'm a little bit doubtful of myself, I could quite quickly jump into that space and go, oh, is that right? And then I'm limiting that 
processing ability because now I'm thinking about what I'm doing rather than allowing my training and conditioning to just flow through the experience. So I need to though, again, I need to go through struggle to create this response within my brain and my body. So a warm up is essential for good performance in any performance. So if I want to talk in front of a group, ideally I warm up before I go to talk. I warm up those neural chemicals through some form of activity, maybe some visualization, uh, you know, maybe some singing, anything to get my voice good or whatever it may be, but it will take a little bit of a struggle. Now the word struggle is, and I'm trying to define that better, is, is basically putting myself under a bit of pressure because we, we tend to thrive when there's a bit of pressure because we step up into areas and accessing parts of the brain that really allows us to take performance to another level. So once that release comes through, we can start to feel a sense of flow. And that normally requires, again, the struggle to be there. Once the release is happening, we then go into flow. And then importantly, as the, re- as the struggle and the release is once we've been in flow, we reset. So what does that mean? It means recover from that experience. Allow yourself to calm back down again into a place where you become very centered so that those chemicals stop getting released and other chemicals and hormones come through to help the recovery process of what you may have been through in that flow state. So I was going to ask you around flow is obviously very important for athletes and people training and getting into that flow state. And I've done some work with you and with my athletes and they love the flow exercises, by the way, where we're using the tennis balls and challenging them with that and jumping over the broomsticks and different exercises. But then around uh, getting to a flow state and the importance of that if you're not actually preparing for physical activity. So you mentioned there that how beneficial it is because there's a lot of people listening who aren't trying to be world-class athletes or coaches and would want to be able to tap into these brain powers in that way when they step into different environments. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, um, we are biochemical beings, you know, we have parts of our brain that need to operate for us to be in the best possible state, if you like, for performance, whatever that may be. It could be, in, you know, interacting with your kid and you're tired. Uh, okay, so there might be some chemicals or hormones in place there that are creating that fatigue. It could be cortisol, it could be, um, you know, adrenaline, whatever it may be that isn't conducive for you to go into a better state. So, yes, you, you ideally, I say... You know, one of the most important things for anyone to feel that they're performing on a good level, whatever that may be, is you need to find the right state of mind and body to allow that performance to come through. That that requires some kind of priming. Unless it's doesn't it's not necessary, but if it's something that needs a little bit of extra oomph, a little bit of okay, I need to really go into this in a good way, yes, you can still create this state of flow for anything so if you've got an email to write and you're not quite sure how to put it together i would recommend that actually you might just jump on a bike for five minutes or a few minutes pedal hard then maybe juggle a couple of tennis balls you know just to get your brain firing so that when you go to sit down and do that email you've got more of the brain open active 
so that you can access information in deeper and different parts of the brain on a constant basis. So when you're typing that email, things just flow. And in a similar sort of sense, you talked there about energetic states. What's the difference then between anchoring ourselves into an energetic state that we want to be in to be able to perform the required task at hand and the difference with that to flow? So, for example, you said before about speaking in front of people and uh, when I do presentations, uh, I know that if I'm stepping up, whether it's in front of 10 people or 400 people to present, I want to be calm and confident so I can present an abundance of value to the people who are listening. And if I go in there stressed and anxious and nervous, then I might actually forget some of the content that I need to present. And therefore, the people listening and receiving aren't actually getting the best quality. So talk to us about anchoring into energetic states, regardless of what the environment is, so we can perform. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to to that type of experience, again, the concept's the same is we want the brain to be pretty active in the way in which it's working and and what i mean by active we need to be able to access deeper parts of the brain that allows us to go to long-term memory short-term memory uh, and bring up to the prefrontal cortex part of the brain that we make decisions and think about in terms of you know goals and and what we're trying to recall all those sorts of things we need that all to be accessible and in simple terms you need blood flow and chemicals at the right point in the brain so that you can do that that then can be linked to a process of anchoring in a gesture uh, a word uh, a stamp of a foot that is linking the experience so let's say let me give you an example of that so let's say i got to do, do a talk and i'm feeling nervous okay i'm feeling nervous because i care uh, good thing and what i want to do is now convert that nervous energy into intent so i might do some movement to allow the excess energy that nervousness creates to now shift into a positive nervousness which is no, no, no i really want to do well here and I'm nervous because my body's preparing me for this experience. And as I start to move and, you know, start to, to get that nervousness through my body by, you know, simply it could just be jumping up and down, uh, could be thinking of my process or thinking of the task at hand and, you know, <clears throat> memorizing and not memorizing, but looking at my notes so I've got clarity. I could then, as I feel that state change into, hey, this is going to go pretty good, I could click my finger. So as I get into that state and go, wow, I feel this is going to be great because I've shifted the nervousness into intent. I've shifted that nervousness into, wow, I can feel like I'm getting more energetic and I'm being, you know, I'm getting enthusiastic about this. And I feel then centered or present. I'm feeling like I'm in that state where I go, wow, I'm starting to feel like I've actually got some control here. I'm starting to move this energy and it feels good. (laughs) Click my fingers. Now the clicking of the fingers has now become an anchoring component. So every time I feel that state, clip my fingers. Now, the next time I go into a talk, should that talk have gone good, I could then go, okay, last time I did this, I got into that state of flow and I click my finger. Wow, I feel the state coming through, but I'm just clicking my fingers. So we can wire different gestures. We could wire a bunch of words together in our head that allows that same neurological process to happen, but now via something as simple as clicking the fingers it doesn't mean that you don't go into struggle first again but you, you may still need to struggle a bit get the chemistry released and then 
bang, and then it really fires everything off. And I think it's important for people to understand that it is a skill that yes. requires practice too, that anchoring. I use a few different anchors to put me into those energetic states. And when I first started it, it took a lot of work around, well, what's the energetic states you want to feel? And then how do those states actually feel? Like what are all your heightened senses when you're in that state? And you've sort of got to bring that up and teach yourself. Yeah. And like anything in life, it's a skill you need to practice. Yeah, exactly. Practice is the is the most important thing here. And, um, you know, excellence isn't an act, it's a habit. So you need to practice and become habitual with your process that you can see works, which will take reflection and review, critique, review, you know, what's working. You know, there could be that you're, you're critiqued by someone that go, okay, this little bit here was brilliant. What were you thinking and doing there? And we can pick out the nuggets that, and it will actually come down, a lot of it, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of it will come down to body language. Your own body language is helping you access the right state, frame of mind to access the right information. So you can always come back to basics with this. That's the beauty of things like flow and what we're talking about is it ain't that hard. You just need to have someone potentially just to, to coach you a little bit. But once you look at it, it's quite simple, as we both know. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of coaching, you've worked with uh, some amazing athletes such as Mick Fanning, Steph Gilmore, Pat Rafter, Many footballers across different codes. Uh, I believe you've done a little bit of time at the New Zealand All Blacks um, with the psychologists there. More recently working with some international world-class MMA fighters and also now work with some of the world's best Paralympic athletes. Yes, absolutely. Thanks to you, bro. How you got connected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're in your beautiful home here on the Gold Coast and I wish everyone could see the view that I can see. This is amazing. I can see why you uh, live here with this beautiful view overlooking the water and the hinterland. And Pretty good. It's amazing. I can imagine you out there on the back deck doing your daily meditation. Yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Now, I feel like you're with me every day because... When you left us in Sydney, you left us with a podcast and a voice recording going through some um, recap of all the work that we did together, which we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, and also the uh, the switch, which switches from our sympathetic to our parasympathetic yes. nervous system after physical exercise, which is awesome. So although I haven't seen you for a couple of months now, I feel like uh, you're yeah, with yeah, me every cool, day yeah. when I hear your voice in my head. Awesome. But I engaged in your services uh, as a breathing expert. Yeah. So I was reaching out looking for a breathing expert to help with my athletes particularly my middle distance athlete and also understanding that any and every person and athlete can benefit from learning how to breathe properly and then the transfer of that into their actual uh, sporting environment as well so that's how I got connected to you when you came to Sydney and started working with us it became evident really quickly that you were way more than a breathing expert. Yeah. To me, you're a mindset and a resilience expert, a breathing expert. You're obviously uh, big into your physical coaching too with your background. How do you explain what you do and who you are, what type of coach you are? So I guess you could say it's it's a performance coach and that looks at different aspects of performance. So breathing, I believe, is the foundation to good performance because, you know, simply oxygen is the number one thing that the brain requires to function well and it's a major component to producing energy so if we're breathing better we will start to take care of the fundamentals so from a performance perspective we look at breathing 
Then from a performance perspective, we've got to look at other aspects such as recovery uh, from stressful experiences and the nervous system and how that behaves. So if I look at anyone, whether it's an athlete, business person, doesn't matter, I need to teach them how to regulate as best as I can, give them tools to regulate their sensations, feelings, emotions, thinking via regulating that fight or flight response. So not going too far into it without being able to control how they think and move and be. And then how to reset from those types of challenging moments too. So we've got breathing, we've got nervous system. Then emotion is a very big part of this whole game too. Because if I get nervous, my breathing's going to change. But I need to understand a little bit about emotion too. So I need to teach that, how that can take over. And very simply, emotion rises generally. So when we get emotional about something, it will rise. And therefore, our ability to stay grounded and be aware of the body and how it moves and be aware of what we're thinking and feeling will start to dissipate into more of a fight or flight kind of experience of, I've got to get out of here or I'm going to get aggressive or I'm just going to try and escape or become very passive. I become like an ape, <laughs> so to speak. So those things are all around performance that I like to teach that obviously there's a bit more to in terms of nutrition, hydration, how we move and you know day-to-day rituals that need to be embedded so that we become our habits start to bring out our better character traits as humans the better we have these habits in place that are around we could say performance the more that that actually starts to bring out character traits that now starts to embed into our identity who we are what we're about and our identity is one of the strongest forces within our personality that we carry so if that is clear based on habits that we go through practices that we go through on a consistent basis in the end, the what if stuff, but what if this happens and what if that happens? You can back yourself and that's a character concept. Who are you? Do you have what it takes to get through this challenge? And that will come from being taught performance cues. Yes, it starts with breathing in my mind. And you mentioned emotion there. Talk to us about emotional horsepower because I've used the terms and uh, done a lot around emotional intelligence, emotional agility, uh, emotional awareness, and my ears pricked when I first heard you say emotional horsepower. Yes. So if you could look at anything that's been achieved on the planet from anyone, what is the number one resource that they tap into to break through or to be persistent or to get back up when it was tough. It was a specific emotion. It could be determination, could be courage. It could be the absolute desire or hunger. That, that's all an emotion. Now, the more that we are able to identify that we have that horsepower in the background, if we have, especially if we have practiced on our awareness around emotion and built it as in something tough happens a challenge happens and we go okay well hang on i'm starting to feel an emotion i'm getting scared or i don't think i can do this you know there's doubt we need we identify that sit with that because that's normal we have to expect it and accept that that's going to happen but then we need to go okay well what do i need to do to get through this challenge 
that will mean I've got to think in a slightly different way. And ideally, I bring up an emotion that will help me drive through a challenge. No, no, I can, I can do this. I, this. This will take some courage. So in the end, the great people on the face of the earth that have been before us and uh, here amongst us, you kind of go, okay, how are they doing this? Well, they've got this strong emotional horsepower in the background, the hunger, the desire, the determination, the consistency, all coming through that allows them to put things into place. They follow process, but that's there to assist them because the opposite's true. People who are in doubt, people who are fearful, people who don't you know, have that determination, um, that will draw them away from what they want to achieve. And I think because you talked there before about habit and excellence is is habit and people think of habits as their physical uh, actions, not understanding or a lot of people not realizing that their physical actions are actually a manifestation of what's happening internally. So without being completely intact internally and being uh, not necessarily always in control of your emotions because it's hard to always be in control but understanding having that emotional awareness and then tapping into it a lot more to create that emotional horsepower so when you do get the normal things like you said doubt fear anxiety you don't try and run away from it or you don't you don't take actions that take you away from what your goals and your visions are you actually understand how to shift that into what you need to and i think acceptance is a big part of that now i think what you were alluding to before is your neat acronym that yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah just talk us through that a little bit and because yeah. acceptance to me is probably the key thing that people can understand and jump onto straight away to 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 take that shift away from jumping onto these negative or unhelpful emotions and actually shifting that into their uh, their helpful direction. So again, if you look at emotion, emotion tends to rise and we get sensations that come with emotions. So everyone has a different sensation around an emotion too. You know, anger to you might be <clears throat> up in your head and me it might be in my chest and, and vice versa. You know, it doesn't really matter. But once we have an awareness, we can then, with that awareness, decide for something. So if we are angry and we are aware that we're going into anger, the best thing we can do is accept that it's there not resist it because what we resist persists so if we accept that it's there then we can start to decide for it okay here it is what are you going to do with it and my kind of best go-to is okay whatever happens use it so if i'm in fear or if i'm in hatred or if i'm in rage or whatever okay accept that it's there now ideally you need to sit with it for a little bit make space for it make space for it very good point Make space for it so that then when you do that, and ideally you would acknowledge what it is too. You go, okay, this is anger. You're activating part of the brain that now helps you to self-regulate thinking and feeling, which is a different part of the brain from where that emotion emanated from as a bunch of chemicals, by the way. <laughs> That's all they are. So we've got to see if we can get that to come through. So acceptance is the starter. And to understand it's normal to feel stuff. And if you don't, well, you're limiting basically how your whole system is going to operate and you're going to start to get weird things occurring. I've got a stiff neck for no reason. I've got a bad back. You know, all these things come from manifestation of not resolving issues. So once we accept it, 
we then go, okay, well, let's tidy this up. You know, how can we tidy this up? How can we use this? Because that's, that's, a, that's a very proactive way of thinking, not a reactive way of thinking. So that person has just done this to me and I feel this. I'm allowing that to happen. Okay, how can I use it? What do I need to do? Because everything I feel is on my terms. Although that person may have triggered me into that state or that experience has triggered me into that state. How can I use it? Acceptance is the first thing. And then you're starting to become a master of the most powerful force that you carry, which is your emotions. And is it sort of from these processes that you work with athletes and people uh, into identifying their, I've heard you talk about the movers and blockers mm. and then that process of helping. Yeah. So, so again, keeping it incredibly simple. So, you know, top of the whole experience of life is meaning. You know, what does it mean to feel this? Tell me about that. You know, how, how, how does it sit in the, your experience in this part of your life? And once we start to explain things and break things down, we get to the truth. And the truth, as corny as it may sound, will set you free or set you on a path of clarity that allows you then to stay on task, follow process and get to your outcomes. But until you get to those truths and acknowledge and accept what you're feeling and why, the meaning, then you can turn things around. So, so many great people like yourself have been through adversity to create tremendous contribution to themselves and others based on adversity. Get to the truth. This really hurt. Tell me about that. Why? Because of this, this, and this. Great. How can we use it? Okay. We're going to go there now. I was going to bring it up after, but let's talk about, um, you work with Mick Fenning and uh, world-class surfer. And Mick has suffered some many big adversities in his time. And you, as one of Mick's key coaches, you've helped him through some really tough times through adversities. You know, he's uh, it's publicly known that he's lost family members at troubling times. And he the shark attack that happened in um, Jayberg and he was able to turn around from that and in some instances win um, some surfing competitions within a very short period of time. How do you, as a coach, allow the athletes, teach the athletes um, or create the environment for the athletes to use that adversity to their advantage? Yeah, with, with Mick, you know, it's, I'm not going to take any credit for, for a lot of this because he's, he's his own man and, and my role in that is predominantly there to listen, asks maybe some probing questions that, again, gets us to the truth. And allows him then to go away and think about aspects that then he can formulate and go, okay, you know, how can I use this? Can I use it for good? And what is it teaching me? Because I believe that, you know, for growth to happen in a human, you need challenge. And you can't get a bigger challenge potentially from what he's been through when you lose someone you love, for example. So that as a challenge can unearth aspects of a person's character that again comes back to the beginning of the conversation of how he can break through further challenges and use that experience as now determination you know hunger i'm going to turn this round to prove to people that you know when the worst thing happens you can make good of that and that's what he does so it's questions predominantly it's talking <laughs> the most simple you know the coffee shop catch-up can have such tremendous benefit by just getting to the truth 
okay, how does it make you feel? What do you think about it? You know, what, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And, and what do you want in the end, by the way? What's your vision? And I want to, you know, it might be for him, for example, I, I want to be happy and I want to give back. Cool. So with this experience, what's it telling you? Well, life's short. Great. So what's that telling you? Well, we better knuckle down and get things done and achieve what we want to achieve because life's short. Good. Okay. Let's figure out the best process for that. So it kind of highlights things. And when you question those moments, because moments of challenge are where character is bred. That's where we become the world champion. That then the skill can come through in performance because the behaviors are there with that skill to allow performance to thrive. So it's actually a terrible experience, but a gift because it breeds the character that allows the behaviors to come through at the right time, that allows the skill to come through as a performance. You said you can't take much credit for it because Mick is obviously his own person and he's a strong, resilient character anyway. But I think you highlight the importance of a coach in those situations and a coach with your skill set. So you you engage in those conversations, but you ask the right questions and or sure. encourage him to ask himself the yes. right questions. So you know, and I think it alludes to the fact that we all as human beings have the answers inside of us. But very few people are actually taught how to go inside to find those answers. We're all looking externally to get those answers and maybe it's in purchasing something. Maybe it's in spending time away from the things that have hurt us. But in actual fact, all the power is within us. Mm. So you know with with your knowledge and skills how to, for example, how to get Mick to go inside to answer those questions that then leads to him taking the actions. Yeah, so I guess in a big way, if I... I'm being my best. If I have habits in place that allows me to have an element of a presence that when I walk amongst those people, such as Mick, when we come together to do activity, talk, whatever, the presence that I carry based on my understanding, like you've just said, actually helps draw out of him the truth. I almost evoke courage into his persona via my presence that then allows him to think differently because if i walked in there and thought that he was a god and oh me you know it's just such an honor to be here and you know and treated him as you know i idolized him i would minimize myself but because i see myself as equal based on what I've achieved and what I do, and it's not an egotistical thing. It's just, hang on, this guy's really good. I've got to step up and be similar in my skill, my way of doing things to him. It allows that communication both consciously and subconsciously to come out where we can both learn from just each other's presence. What's the biggest shift that you've seen in Mix after some of these major adversities that he's faced? I guess, you know, Again, there's elements of maturity that come through these type of things. So he's become an incredibly mature human being. Not to say that he doesn't have an incredible amount of crazy fun, but he has an element of maturity around decision-making and what's ideal or what's ethically right. So he has now joined different <clears throat> communities in, in the sense of, you know, um, 
environmental groups, Starlight Foundations, to help those who have less ability to help themselves. He's stepped into that role since he's been through these challenges. And how have you seen that that has uh, either changed his persona or how's his language around that sort of stuff now? Is it? Do you think it's the right direction that he's taken? Is yeah, it working absolutely. For him? Yeah, he, he is one of the most kind-hearted people that I have experienced, as in he goes to deep emotion. He goes to compassion. He goes to love in a way that isn't said but felt. And that's come from those challenges. So he could have gone one of two ways. He could have gone to hatred. He could have gone to life's not fair. But he's had that ability to go, no, 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 no. You know, it's unfortunate. But that tells us that life is short and very precious. And the more that we can go into these higher levels of emotions, such as compassion, love, connection, contribution, the more that we will gain from those experiences because now we are connecting to people around us that allows those people to rise to that type of experience as well. And that's what he's gained from it, I believe. And it's powerful, very, very powerful. Yeah. I'm very interested around that space for obvious reasons around people using adversity to their advantage. And I say that repeatedly, but that's the way that I see it. And as you know, I work with Paralympic athletes and some of the athletes that I work with have almost lost their lives when they've lost limbs or they've been in a wheelchair or uh, had massive accidents and different things like that or are born with a disability and they, their adversities are sort of pushed on them with um, a lot of heavily bullying and judgment and things like that. Mm. And you see these athletes actually uh, use their disability uh, as their ability to not just athletically perform but create amazing lives and be inspirational role models to yeah. to millions worldwide and it intrigues me around the uh the adversity space and as you know i've suffered massive adversity myself and a big reason why this podcast has come out so the question around um i know there's no such formula as how to shape that adversity but just very intrigued on in that because one of the things that i've sort of come to uh, understand is that those who do uh, build from adversity, so learn, grow and develop and use that adversity, like what we spoke about with Mick, like with the athletes uh, that I work with, it seems to be congruency to me that when people can realign congruently uh, and still move in the direction of their audacious goals, but congruently with their core values, congruently with their belief systems, but understanding their belief systems aren't rigid and they mm. can be shaped and changed, uh, congruently with their purpose or, or beginning to understand and identify what their purpose actually is and that congruency of these sort of four figures so good. and yeah. moving in that direction to me is how I can then also help people to overcome their adversities. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about you is that you're a beautiful human. You, you have that ability to, to, to assist people through that, which is an absolute gift. And again, it's predominantly come from adversity more than, you know, I don't know your entire past, but I know that would have been a big factor. So then to, to do, to teach those less fortunate, like you've been saying, the, the basics, the daily rituals or habits of thinking and acting that will allow these challenges to come into greatness. So there's always three sides to a coin. You know, 
this bad thing happened. So how can we use it? And you can always use it. There's always a way. And by the way, love is the answer. Love is the catalyst of oneself and what one's purpose is that can then draw upon the gift from a challenge. Love as opposed to fear? Operational space? Yeah, there's two ends of the spectrum, three sides to the coin, Mm -hmm. two ends, three sides. So yes, you know, pain and pleasure will always be what challenges us and changes us or allows us to grow. So ideally though... We use love predominantly. When I say love, you know, the absolute desire, the hunger, the love, the enjoyment, the, the benefit. And then we also look at fear and go, okay, well, you know, what do we need to, to refine? What do we need to be, to be doing to become less fragile in that space? in that fear aspect. I love it. We could talk about this all day, we but we'll, we'll move on a little bit. Talk to us a little bit more. We mentioned before about uh, you being a breathing expert. Talk to us about your baby of breath enhancement training. Yep. So it's predominantly was put together for surfers with myself and my partner where I was a very, very good free diver and martial artist and was taught from a very early age about the concept of breathing that breathing has certain aspects to it that when we refine, simply it could be starting with the biomechanics. Okay, there's you know there's a number of muscles we're using to breathe in, especially when we go under stress and when we breathe out under stress. And there's key muscles that we need to start to, to kick into gear to breathe better. That was taught to me at an early age that then changes the way in which our chemistry unfolds from a blood's perspective within the bloodstream carbon dioxide and oxygen vital elements working together to allow oxygen to be readily used to enhance performance so breathing is a catalyst to that so i we came together and went okay we've got some big wave riders that are surfing 60 70 foot waves go okay we want to be able to hold our breath for a long time you hold your breath for over seven minutes can you teach us to do that no, I cannot. In that <laughs> so you can hold your breath yes. for over seven minutes? Yes. Yeah. That environment, I cannot teach you to hold your breath for a long time, but I could teach you how to hold your breath in that environment in a way that would be conducive for the time frame that you're going under. So, okay, 50-foot wave, uh, maximum time. You could expect to be underwater, 50-foot. That's enormous. All right, you're looking about 50 seconds, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. However, you're going through enormous stress and challenge. So what you are doing leading up to that, your conditioning and training, the breath enhancement training teaches a surfer in that context how to enhance their ability to hold their breath under high duress. So put them through activity that involves similar timeframes as wipeouts that is inducing high levels of carbon dioxide that is the stimulus for us to breathe out when we hold our breath, being more... um, accustomed to those experiences and being able to regulate our thinking around that type of challenge so that we don't react to it we respond to it and get the best capacity of our breath hold based on conditioning breathing is obviously a big part and then doing activity that is simulating wipeouts that builds co2 drops oxygen levels in our body uh, so that we can then go into the environment that actually happens and go well i've trained for this i've gone through a process that will assist me before the wipeout, during the wipeout, after the wipeout. And 
the mechanics of breathing, how we breathe in and out is a foundation to that. And that's what I alluded to at the beginning, some of the stuff that uh, I did with you and continue to do on a daily basis is around working on strengthening the diaphragm and also on lung capacity through some basic five to 10 minute exercises yes. that we do every morning. Is that the type of stuff you're talking about that you teach them in the very basics yes. and then you put them under that stressful yes. environment? Yeah. So when we breathe in, you know, the diaphragm is, is the number one muscle we use to breathe in. However, a lot of people when they are mildly going through stress or not aware of the fact of how to breathe effectively, minimize its use. What does it mean? Well, the secondary muscles that then help get air into the lungs start to activate and we start to become chest breathers. So the breath is shallow now. If the breath is shallow, we're missing out on the ability to absorb a good amount of oxygen every time we breathe in. What does that mean? Well, energy is going to drop because oxygen is the catalyst to making energy, ATP, our currency of life. So if we first off look at the in-breath and go, okay, well, what do you do? How do you breathe in? Ideally, you use your nose when you're just sitting around or if your heart rate doesn't demand you to use your mouth. You just use your nose because when you use your nose, you've got smaller holes. Therefore, there's resistance for the diaphragm to start to pull upon to draw air low into the lungs, low into the lobes where predominantly gas exchange takes place. So our oxygenation can improve quite considerably if we breathe in to the lower region of our lungs. How will I know I'm doing it? Well, you could put your hand just around the lower part of your rib cage on both sides. When you breathe in, you should feel a slight expansion on the beginning of the in-breath. Then you know your diaphragm is contracting and drawing air into the area that it should do, that then will obviously start to fill from the bottom of the lungs towards the top. You're getting a good amount of air in your lungs. If you just use your chest area, there won't be much movement down there. The diaphragm isn't moving much, so the capacity to breathe in dissipate, drops. So now I'm getting a third of a lung full of air, third of the amount of oxygen my body probably wants. How can I operate? It, and what, why is this important for in a, um, in a non-athletic environment? Yeah, so if I'm breathing in that fashion, my heart will start to beat irregularly because my diaphragm and my heart are connected. So if I use my diaphragm to breathe in, A, I'm getting more oxygen. So therefore, my energy production will be better. If my energy's there, my thinking will be better because my brain chews up so much oxygen. So I'm not getting enough oxygen into my blood through my breathing. I can't expect to think well, which will mean I'll tend towards the negative. I'm going into a form of stress, but I'm doing it. So anything outside of me is gonna be more stressful. So now my thinking goes into negativity predominantly or cautiousness or fear. Then when I'm not getting my heart to beat effectively because my diaphragm isn't working and they're connected. So when I breathe in, my diaphragm contracts. My heart sits in a bag called a pericardium, which is attached to the diaphragm. So as I breathe in, that is elongating the heart and helping blood get into the heart. When I breathe out and relax that area, my diaphragm will relax and push back up and help blood be pushed out of the heart. So now I've got two pumps, not one. But all I'm doing to assist that, to get that to happen, is to breathe better. So now people will be going, two pumps? Hang on. <laughs> so I've got a V8 engine, not a V2. Which is obviously much more powerful. Yes. Now, we've done some work uh, where you've hooked up the heart rate variability monitors and, and it can get quite technical. But 
I want to know if there's something we can do right now for the yep. listeners, Absolutely. whether it's one minute, five minutes, whatever it is that we can... Let's do it. Okay. What are we doing? Talk so us I'll, through it. I'll talk you through it. So if everyone... For those listening, if you're driving, you might need to... Uh, actually, I don't know what we're going to do. So if you're driving and you're listening It doesn't this, matter. If you're driving, it's fine. Okay. There you go. You can be driving. Yeah, absolutely. So just be aware of uh, what you're looking at. So ideally, you first thing is posture. So if I want to get a, a better breath, I have to think of posture because... If my posture isn't uh, conducive to allowing muscles to work, I will restrict airflow, blood flow, neurological messages. So how would I get you, if you're sitting, to, to correct your posture? Ideally, your feet are flat on the floor so that you're allowing then just a slight change in hip placement. Um, also, uh, with your head, this is basics, I know. Just imagine that you've got a piece of cotton and it's gently pulling you up from above. So that will mean that you're elongating your spine slightly. Simple. Um, then all I would like you to do now that you're in that position is to then do a little body scan. And from the head down to your feet, just see if you can imagine that you've got that piece of cotton holding up. Just soften areas of the body. Which areas? Okay, let's soften the jaw a bit. Let's soften the chest a bit. Let's soften the belly a bit. Let's soften the hips. Let's soften the hands, the knees, the feet. So as soon as we do that, we're telling the inside of us that we don't need to stress because stress is contraction. Non-stress is relaxation. So let's just relax areas of the body. Now, with your nose, I want you to focus on the tip of or the outside of the nostrils. So all I want you to do now, if you're driving, keep your eye on the road, is just to gently breathe in as if you're drawing in silk so it's gentle it's light and become aware of your belly area activating on the in-breath so you relax those muscles in your stomach and allow the diaphragm now to activate and you should feel slight expansion around the rib, lower rib cage this is basics i know but the belly as well might come out slightly and you're drawing air in to a point where you feel it's comfortable you'll have little receptors within the top part of your chest that will fire when air has got there that then signals to your brain, that'll do things. So you're breathing into a rate where you feel it's comfortable. Then when you breathe out, I want you to soften through your chest and down towards your feet and let go, still imagining that your head's suspended from above. So you're literally allowing the sensation of letting go to emanate flow through down the body and let go of the breath, let go of tension. When you breathe in again, you're tuning into the breath coming in and follow it with your mind. Feel it, come in, draw it in slowly, like breathing in silk. And then when you breathe out, allow that sensation of letting go of what you've just used to breathe in just to dissipate and gently soften from the chest all the way down through to the feet what we'll find is that we're starting now to breathe evenly rhythmically and with depth and the more that we can get that to happen as an experience the more that we will now allow the heart to beat better and processes in the body to be more of a parasympathetic experience not a sympathetic calmness not stress so in breath smooth gentle like drawing in silk shouldn't really be able to hear the breath 
out breath, let go. Again, we're trying, allowing ourselves to feel a gentle expansion around the lower rib cage at the beginning of the in breath, drawing the air in around the thoracic upper part of the chest. There's an area of tension that will activate to say, that'll do. And then gently letting go of the breath, keeping the head suspended from above, softening from the chest down through to the feet. And you should feel a sense of calmness as we're going through this process. You're allowing your mind to focus on one of the most important things, which is the breath. Now, it's basics, I know, but that's the starting point. Bring your awareness back to what you're doing. Well done. Thank you. If, uh, if we've all participated in that properly, we'll be feeling very calm and relaxed yeah. and, and, in, and present. I yes. I feel like it brings a lot of presence to the, yeah. to the moment. Now, you obviously coach some of the world's best athletes. Like we mentioned, Mick Fenning talked about a lot of the athletes, MMA, footballers, everything. But you obviously do a lot of stuff yourself. You're a bit of a physical specimen, no? Yes. <laughs> what is it that uh, keeps you going and doing it yourself? Is it just because you want to be able to demonstrate to the athletes? Is it because of how it makes you feel? Or is it because you have big goals yourself to achieve physical feats? I, you know, I, my partner is a big, big part of my life. She, she is an amazing human and is so, so honest when it comes to health and health of mind, health of body, and as I am too. So having a partner is a really good, in that space, I believe is awesome because you keep, they keep you accountable and keep you honest. Why am I wanting to stay fit and healthy? Yes, I want to be a representation of what I'm trying to teach. I kind of think in the mindset of... Um, lead by example. So if I want to really get my point across to people, I have to lead by example. And the only way I'm going to do that is to show what I'm teaching works on me as well as the people I work with. So I I believe that energy is our currency. And for me to think well, feel well, I'll need energy, but I'll need to be able to build that within my myself i need to build healthy mitochondria that that is the engine to every cell in my body that will need to be challenged by different activities i need to build better muscle or mental strength and that will come from forms of meditation forms of challenge and support so i need to test and prove to myself for teaching but i also need to prove to the people i teach but i need to think energy as a currency that allows me to do my best for others because that's predominantly what I want to do is be my best for others and I want to love my life which I do but the only way I'm going to love my life is if I operate on a very healthy level because that's the nature of how we are if we're healthy and vibrant we'll get the best out of things so yes, there's drivers, you know, I want to run as fast as I can as a thing. I want to lift heavy weights because I enjoy that as a masculine thing. 
Uh, I want to move really well because then I'm mobile. There's factors, obviously, but yeah. He's mentioned running really fast and you're the reason why the uh, thoughts have been raised in my mind over the last <laughs> couple of months about coming back and trying to run some 400s because you told me that later in your life you sort of implemented a lot of the training methods that you'd been doing and ran a PB in the 400 uh, at how old were you, 30, late yeah, 30s? Yeah, seven. Yeah. And then 200s now too. Yeah, okay. So I've dropped that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 44, almost 45. I'm going, okay. And again, why Why though? Why would I want to do that? Well, you know, that that's health. That's vibrancy. That's energy. That's allowing so many processes in my mind, brain, body to activate if I'm going to that level. And you mentioned uh, nutrition there before and health. Just briefly, we don't have to go into too much depth, but what's some of your beliefs around um, optimal nutrition? Whole foods. So what you can pick and if you're into it, what you can catch. Um, And then making sure that there's a good amount of time between meals. So almost intermittent fasting, if you like, where you're allowing then the DNA, RNA of your cells to actively repair themselves based on uh, low or or balanced blood sugar and nutrient being available for that process to happen. So really organic is ideal. I eat organic, you know, basically what you can pick and catch, that's it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And I I just asked that question because there's a lot of, I think, confusion out there these days around – diets, eating plans, what's right, what's not. But I think simplicity, like you say, yeah. in that regard Keep is, it simple. is very healthy and vital. And what might work for me may not work for you because we are slightly have a different biological signature. So, mm. so we're sitting here, it's eight, almost 8.30 in the morning. You haven't eaten no, Today? I've eaten. Yeah, oh, you yeah, have eaten? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you don't – you just mentioned the almost intermittent fasting. Yeah, so Do I, you- I finished eating at 7 o'clock last night. Okay. But I would then 12 to 14 hours later have yes. a, say, okay. some organic fruits. That's that's your window, about 12 to 14 hours. Of, yeah. 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 Okay. All right, so – We'll uh, wrap things up shortly, but I'm all about action and I want our listeners to uh, take away some actionable items. Obviously, we've taught them how to breathe properly and there's a hell of a lot of knowledge in in through our whole chat, but what's your advice on what specific action our listeners can take today to be more impactful in their lives and in their communities? So, I'm going to use the word radical because I want them to think outside the box take radical responsibility of how you're thinking and feeling go and find a coach go and find mentors go and a mentor go and find a series of books that can teach you more about who you are what you're about go and find that so that you become a better thinker and feeler of yourself so that when you interact with people you are less reactive you're more responsive and therefore your energy your thinking your way of being encourages influences people into a better place radical responsibility of how you're thinking and feeling i love it now before we move on uh i want to give you a gift so i give everyone a gift who i interview on the podcast 
you've already received a life tea from Sarah yeah, and yeah, I, absolutely. so you're aware of the life teas, but we do have other ones here. This one is uh, raising money for a charity called uh, Souls for Souls, so they donate partly worn shoes to communities <laughs> yeah, in need. So this is a shirt for you to say thank, thank you, you so for much. coming onto the podcast. I will donate to that. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, so we will dive into the Fast Five questions to finish things off, but before we do, where can the listeners learn more about you? So website, social media and how can i and the listeners help you on your journey um so my website address is www.equalize with a z.com.au you can go to that you can go to my instagram well, i'm a big fan of that but instagram which is just Nam baldwin you can check that out um how can you help me uh well let's let's put it into a bigger place how can you help others as well as me <clears throat> that responsibility around how you're thinking and feeling. Now, if you're on the coast, I run uh, community programs, one's called Epic, Emotional and Physiological Intelligence for the Community. If you're ever on the Gold Coast, you can look at our website, see when they're on and maybe join in. Um, And I can help teach you those aspects of how you think and feel. Um, That would be great. Excellent. And I'll link all that up into the show notes so people can sure. uh, jump on and see where your website and check out the uh, the Epic. All right, the fast five questions. So I haven't told you about this. Don't really Super. need uh, too much time to think about it. You can just let it roll off the tongue. What's one habit you wish you could change? One habit I wish I could change would be to stop that desirable extra piece of chocolate when it comes in. Is it dark chocolate? It's dark chocolate. <laughs> I'm just thinking outside that, yeah, that'll do. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized? So many. <laughs> uh, nature. Well, looking out the window yeah, here, yeah, you, must, you must operate Ocean, like that. Nature, yeah. Absolutely. Have you ever washed a dog? Yes. Simple. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Learn from your challenges. And what are you most grateful for in your life right now? My relationships. Brilliant. Nam Baldwin, you're a legend. You are the vision I have of myself uh, in future years of the the coaching repertoire and the knowledge and the experience of life and that gift to be able to give to other people and your your passion to do that and to make people the best versions of themselves is very infectious and very inspirational. So I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on here today and just want to say that Keep living your fulfilled life. Thank you so much. You, you are an image of that already. So, you know, it's wonderful to be a part of your process and what you do. It's, um, I am, <clears throat> when I met you and when I spoke to you on the phone, I was so deeply, deeply inspired by what you do. And that you have been a catalyst for me to keep that whole experience of learning and growing and teaching alive. So you, you've been a major part of that. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, looking out the window here, it's a beautiful sunny day on the Gold Coast and you're living close to the beach, so I think I'm going to go and uh, do a bit of a training session on the beach before I go to coaching. Yeah, enjoy. Thanks again. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that you all got to learn from Nam. You can all see now why I'm so grateful and pumped to work with him. He truly approaches life and coaching holistically and has the personality and communication to go with it. You'll all undoubtedly be keen to learn more from Nam, and the exciting thing is that we're now in talks of collaborating more regularly in many different capacities. So stay tuned. 
And if you want to be the first to know when we are teaming up to deliver these powerful tools to you on a bigger scale, then send me an email and let me know. Brett at lifeintentional.com.au. I'll link this up in the show notes. Make sure you tag Nam and I on social media and let us know that you listen to this episode. The more we hear from you all, that's how we know you guys are keen to learn, grow, and develop. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at yourlifeofimpact.com. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.